0: welcome welcome
1: welcome a notable welcome to all you music lovers to something that i like to call journey to the stage it's all about music the music and more music ladies and gentlemen please welcome back your host your host and
2: our dad brian frazier i hereby reconvene
0: the dead Poets society
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Journey to the Stage. This is Brian Frazier, and I am so grateful that you've tuned in for part two of the final chapter of my up close and personal chat with guitarist, singer, songwriter, and producer, Phil Kagey. If you have not listened to part one yet, I'd highly recommend that you start there. If you're listening to the podcast version of this episode, you can find episode 49 there. If you're watching on YouTube, just click on the channel and you'll find the video version there. Phil and I recorded our chat on February 3rd, 2023, so he and Bernadette celebrated their 50th anniversary in July of 2023. During our chat, Phil mentioned his desire to sing more music with Jeremy Casella, and I'm happy to report that they have indeed made some more music together. At the time of this release, Phil Kege and Friends have released a brand new album called Pilgrimage where Phil and Jeremy team up for five of the 10 or so songs that are on that album. There are also some other very, very talented singers and songwriters and musicians, and it's all based on the poetry of Kevin Belmonte. It's a beautiful album, and I'll put the link for that so you can get your own copy of that via download and the description below. Before we jump into part two of our chat, I want to thank Tom Gulata for helping me make initial contact with Phil. Tom also runs Phil's Bandcamp page, and I can tell you that I have never seen a more epic or impressive Bandcamp page than the one that Phil has. The link for that will be in the episode description. You can buy downloads there of Phil's music, you can become a VIP member, and doing those things will help to support our friend, Phil Cakey so he can continue to make wonderful music. Lastly, I wanna thank all of season two of my guests, Dennis Dyken of The Smithereens, whom I had on twice, John Jackson, who was my very first guest, came back, we've talked about Elvis, Jen and Samantha from Rivoli, legendary vocalist Ron Hicklin, Wayne Everett, Wayne Kirkpatrick, Mike Stand, Michael Lockwood, Ben Balmer, John Shabaglian, Dan Murphy, Sir Please, Blue Water Highway, Trapper Shop, Glenn Phillips, Florence Door, John Schlitt, and last but not least, Phil Kagi. Season three is slated to kick off in November of 2023 with my up post of a personal interview with legendary bassist Carol Kay. It's recorded and just awaiting editing. I'm thankful for each of you who have listened this season. You are the reason we're seeing encouraging growth. So thank you so much. There is so much ahead of us in this interview with Phil Phil's gonna play two of my absolute favorites in studio for us, and we're gonna hear from a couple more of Phil's friends and dig into so much of Phil's great storytelling and history. At the end of part one, Phil had just played for us a special in-studio performance of the Beatles' great, Here Comes the Sun by the late George Harrison. We're gonna pick it up right after that and dive into our chat about the impact of the Beatles on Phil. Here is part two of this up-close-and-personal special with Phil Kage on Journey to the Stage. So I've had the pleasure of speaking to a number of very, very talented artists and the majority of them would cite the Beatles as their prime influence. Obviously they've left their impact on you. How does that influence you think manifests itself in the music that you're making today?
3: I think because Paul and John and George were melodic people, you know, they really were, they wrote very beautiful melodies and, uh, And so I grew up in the generation where, you know, the the artists of the 60s were influenced by the music of the 40s and 50s. So it's different than today, you know. My music is definitely more old-fashioned. The Beatles definitely left their mark. Uh, I think I got into other musical guitar styles because of the music of it, not necessarily because of the songwriting aspect of it, if you understand what I mean, you know. Yeah, yeah. The Beatles were a a complete package, you know, and uh, in terms of, like, interesting music as well as good-sounding harmonies and vocal performances. And let's not leave Ringo out, because he was just a terrific drummer as well. And George Martin.
1: Yes, absolutely.
3: He added so much to the Beatles' sound.
1: I love the fact that in one set list you can have, you know, be thou my vision, a fifteen hundred year old song. And Rocky Raccoon, I think that is so unique. <laughs> oh, it's probably
3: because somebody shouted it out and asked me to do it, you know. And oh. the, yeah, and, and I do. I, I, I do silly things like try to play songs I don't completely know.
1: Oh, it's so funny. To me, that that song has one of the funniest lyrics ever. You know, her name was McGill. She mm-hmm. called herself Lil, but everyone knew her as Nancy. <laughs> I yes. just think that is so funny.
3: <laughs> I think it's interesting that Paul eventually married a Nancy.
1: Yes, that is. Yeah, yeah. Well, And then speaking of Paul, so let's talk about that. I know you've talked about that in other places, but this is something that I'm so fascinated by. Uh, you had a chance to meet Paul, and not only meet him, but but sit down and play some music together. Tell that story, because I'm I'm utterly fascinated by this.
3: Okay, well... My former pastor, Scott Ross, he was working at CBN, and he contacted me one day. He said, Phil, you got to meet uh, Laura Eastman. She's working in the creative production department. They want to do a, a song and a video about the Living Bible, which they were releasing, and it's called The Book, if you remember that. So I said, yeah, I'd love to talk to her. He said, by the way, you know, she's Linda McCartney's sister. I go, whoa. And <laughs> and so we went down to Virginia, my wife and I, and I went into the studio. They had a, a, a song written called Discover the Book. It's somewhere on the Bandcamp site. I don't know which backroom tracks it's on, but it was yeah. never released. And they proceeded to make a video with quite a production. Warren Marcus from New York City was the director, and Laura Eastman was the producer. But then they cut the funds and so it was never able to be finished and i was the i was the artist you know doing this mm-hmm. and uh and the location they had a lot of extras and it was filmed in a old hotel historic hotel but it never was finished but huh. we became friends then laura moved to new york city whenever i played in the area uh she and her fiance donald would come and uh we We also would meet up with our friends, Paul and Susan Malis, who ended up being our our ride, and they were with us at the wedding, because Laura asked me if I would play in her wedding. And I said, absolutely. She said, could you make it in September 1990? And I said, well, I'll look at my schedule. And she planned her wedding weekend around the weekend I was free, and so... Really? Wow. That was quite something, you know. I didn't yeah. have I didn't have to cancel any dates and I said, Well, this weekend's free. He said, Well that's that's a that's a good time. We'll get married. I think that's how wow. it went. Now I could be mistaken and I don't know if I'm just uh, muddying the waters here, but all I know is there was a weekend free and that was the weekend that we went up to New York. We flew to New York and then Paul and Susan picked us up. Before I made the trip I told my good friend Jim Olsen, I play his guitar, the Olsen guitar. I I told him, I said, Laura told me that Paul and Linda and their children are in the wedding party, which kind of shocked me. I go, oh, gee, no way. Uh, I've got to sing in front of him. Yeah, right, right. And I was the only music in the wedding. It was just, I sang three songs, What a Wonder You Are, Here and Now, and The Two of You, and then I Love You, Lord, as an instrumental there are pictures of the groomsmen standing, you know, very proper and there's Paul leaning forward, you know, really listening and uh wow. and uh but but Jim told me, he said, I've got this left handed Olson that I made for a fellow who can't pay for it, but it would mean the world to me if you could put it into Paul's hands. I said, Well, I'll I'll ask Laura. After the wedding, before the reception dinner, mm-hmm. she says to Paul, We're gonna meet upstairs in her brother's uh, one of the guest rooms. Uh, Phil's got something he wants to give you, and so Paul and Linda, Bernadette and I, just the four of us, went up. And Linda said, "Hey, Phil's got something special for you." And he opens it up and he looks at it and it's this beautiful Olson guitar, left-handed. Yeah. And he goes, "It's beautiful," you know. And he looks in, he smells the sound <laughs> hole and the freshness of the guitar, and he goes, hey, "He goes." no no where's yours and i said oh it's right over there he goes get it you know and so wow so we sat there and we i i you know what am i going to do so i started playing his songs you know like a little bit of blackbird uh put it there from flowers in the dirt and and then he started doing a little bit of a 12 bar blues and but we actually uh tinkered on the guitars together for about 15 20 minutes wow. and then we were called down to the reception dinner and uh he said, "Why? Uh, I'd love to just stay here and play, you know. And he wasn't really, okay, let me show you what I know, you know, and let, let me sing one of my songs. He didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I, I started singing one of his songs, and I said, you want to sing along? It's your song. <laughs> <laughs> and so we did, you know. And I think the, the, the thing I remember the most was put it there. And uh, he was really kind, and he, said, he paid me a compliment about the songs I sang in the wedding. He said, you did a fine job. You sound a bit like James Taylor, or you remind me a bit of James Taylor, which I never got that. It must have been my receding hairline. I don't know what it was, but <laughs> but I, I stuck really straight to the tune and the melody. I didn't want to act like I'm showing off in front of my hero. It was an odd thing. I kept focusing on Bernadette, and I focused on the bride and the groom. And every once in yeah. a while, I glance, and there's there's Paul, and oh, my. <laughs> uh, yeah, and his wife and daughters, and his son was the. The ring bearer, James. So it was. Yeah. It was just a real
1: happy time, though. It really was. Well, I know there's that famous picture of you guys. It uh, Looks like you're sitting on a bed. You guys mm-hmm. are playing your guitars together, and you've probably mm-hmm. seen this, but I love it because in our world we call it when Paul McCartney met Phil Caggy. <laughs> oh, gee. <laughs> So Paul's son James, he's he's not a full time musical artist, but he's got two albums out that are really good. They're very different from one another, but they're definitely worth listening to. Very well written. I've always in my head wished that James McCartney and Julian Lennon would get together and make an album and call it Lennon McCartney. You know, uh, I just think that would be so fun. But yeah, it probably never will. But I just because they're both really talented in their in their own right.
3: Yeah, it would be nice. I'd like to hear it, you know. Uh, I'd like to hear something like that. And, of course, Sean Lennon is talented, too, isn't he? Sure, yeah. And there's Zachary yeah. uh, Star, who played with The Who, and uh, he's played oh, with yeah. the Ringo Starr All-Star Band. Yeah, and, in uh, fact, Ringo's
1: yeah. Ringo's on tour right now. I, I need to go. I'd love to catch him. That would be so much fun.
3: I did see him once, um, live, with uh, his All-Star Band. It was nice. it was great. The fella from the Raspberries. Uh all By Myself. What was his, what's his name?
1: Oh, was it Eric, Eric, Eric Carman? Eric Carmen.
3: It's Eric Carmen, talented guy. He was playing with Ringo Starr's band. And so was uh, Jack Bruce.
1: Yeah. Didn't Joe Walsh play with him for a while? Do yeah, I, I remember that so. Oh yeah, they're good buddies, of course. Well, it's so interesting because a lot of McCartney's post-Beatles work reminds me of you for some reason, like his album, um, Flaming Pie, which is Maybe my favorite album by him. It came out in 97, the year I got married. I know, married. I love
3: that album. Sure, yeah.
1: So every time I listen to Little Willow...
3: Yeah, I love that song.
1: It reminds me of you for some reason. I would love to hear you put that in a set list sometime. But it, for some reason, you always come to mind when that song comes on. It's a wonderful uh, little song. What a,
3: what a sweet compliment.
1: So sixty nine 68, Glass Harp, you guys get together. You put out three albums. And as you mentioned, when you became a Christian... You venture out on your own. And then 73, that's when What A Day comes out. As you mentioned, it's the same year you got married. So that work is coming up on its 50th anniversary as well, your your Mm -hmm. solo album, your first, really the launching of your solo career. And you have fans that have been with you. That entire time, mm-hmm. do you ever get to connect with people? Yeah, I was a fan since that you know first album. What what's that like for you to maybe connect with people who have who've been you know fans of your music for that long?
3: Oh yeah, well, one of my dear friends, Peter York. Uh, you know, when I left oh, Glass wow. Harp, Peter and I began to play out as a duo for uh, a number of years, and then my wife and I moved to upstate New York, and Peter moved to California but we we uh we did 72 and 73 74 we played together uh and there, some of our concerts are up on uh on the Bandcamp yep. site right i've seen uh, those yeah and there's they're very special you know they're very special to me we remain friends all these years uh we know a, a family from buffalo that we've known since what a day came out the Averys, uh frank and Lori. Neil Williams, uh, I shared the song The Answer with him in the summer of 1970, and he became a Christian, and he's also been a real huge support of Glass Harp and my music over the years. This album, um, we're going to put out a a deluxe version of What a Day. Um, Oh, cool. It's been remastered. It was remastered 10 years ago, and it sounds beautiful. It was remastered by Gary Hedden, who actually was the engineer. And we're gonna wow. have, gonna have the demos, and we're gonna have alternate mixes. Um, nice. I've got, I've got all the tracks in digital and Pro Tools, and uh, Tom Galata, who's my big helper, you know, with the Bandcamp Patreon site. He, mm-hmm. uh, we uh, we sat together and we did remixes of you know so people could hear different things and yeah. different way of listening to the album, you know, just for ear candy. You know, to me, the the original mixes uh, can't be can't be beat. Gary Hedden and I were in the studio together and his geniusness is geniusity uh, <laughs> really did a fine like job that. considering the equipment <laughs> we used at the time, you know, but sure. Uh, sure. So yeah, that's coming out soon. I wish we could put it on LP at the same time. That would be the cherry on top of the cake.
1: Oh, can you imagine? Yeah. It's so hard these days to get vinyl because there's been such an increase in production, but there's so few places that are doing it. It just takes forever and it's expensive mm-hmm. and and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's neat to hear you talk about people that have been with you that long. So, I'm like you, I love having friends that are older than me and I have the blessing of, of being good friends with a guy named Dan Morrow. Uh, we often share lunch together, talk music, mm-hmm. and, and he is one of those 50-year Phil Kagi fans. And when he found out that we were going to be sitting down for a chat, he sent me a, a note. It, it was really just for me. It was something that he, but I got his permission to share this. And so I want to share with you what he wrote, because I think you'll find it very special. Okay, Dan says that Phil has been such an inspiration in my life. I too come from a big Catholic family. I'm the eighth of 10. He said, My mom was dying of cancer and I left to drive with a friend in a Volkswagen bus from New Jersey to California. I felt I just had to go. This was June of 1973. Received the Lord in California in August of 73, then hitchhiked back to New Jersey to be with my mom. Made it in four days. I read my New Testament all along the way and gave my friend a cassette to listen to on the way home. What a day. When I got to New Jersey, I shared the love song albums with with Mm -hmm. my two younger brothers, and that was the catalyst to bring them to the Lord the next year. Phil's music was used to bring many to faith in the Lord, just as, as I had been. Paul Clark and friends. It was good to be home. I grew up in the word because of those pioneers. Then he goes on to write just a little bit left. When mm-hmm. second chapter of Acts did how the West was one tour, Phil was introduced by Buck Herring as on loan from a fellowship <laughs> in, in update <laughs> in upstate New York, uh, something called love in, which you'll remember, uh, mm-hmm. with his band called David. I was at that concert in the Oakland auditorium where some of that was recorded Margaret was seven months pregnant at that time. Margaret's his wife. And just so you know, kind of the, um, the PS to this is, as he mentioned, his wife was seven months pregnant at that concert. They went on to name their son, Philip.
3: Oh, wow. What a, yeah, what a very, very sweet, you know, Bernadette and I were married just a month and we drove a, a, a Ford van all the way to California from Ohio. She hmm. was 18. I was 22 and I, I, played the next three months with uh, Love Song. I toured with them up and down the coast and came to the Midwest yeah. and to the East Coast. And that was seventy three. That was the year What a Day was recorded. I got married. Then I then I then Love Song became you know, they were my, my favorite band. Their harmonies, the heart and soul. In fact, mm-hmm. just two days ago no, just yesterday, uh Tommy Coombs and Chuck Gerard were in my studio. And I'm really? doing some of the the backing soundtrack music for their documentary coming out, and so they were here to give their input, and that was wonderful to have them here. And I see them pretty regularly, especially Tommy. The second chapter of Acts. I loved their voices. I loved their albums. And mm-hmm. Buck Herring invited me to play on in the volume of the book in 1975. That's where I got to meet these wonderful players like Michael Lamardian and Jay Graydon, oh, and yeah. you know uh, David Kemper on the drums and. Then the next year, in 76, uh, Buck produced my Love Broke Through album. That's when I met Keith Green. Oh, uh, no. Jim Gordon was our drummer. Leland, Leland Sklar was our bass player. And Larry Neckdall was our keyboard wow. player. And, uh, and, of course, the second chapter of Acts were singing with Milo Lefevre, BGVs. Yeah. And, um, just, just wonderful times. So whenever we have the chance to go west all kinds of wonderful things would open up for us, for me and yeah. Bernadette, and friendships and um, a good chance to get away from New York. And uh, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that was pretty special times.
1: Oh, that's incredible. You know, when I when I came to the Lord, all I owned was um, concert T-shirts from rock bands that I loved, and my hair was halfway down my back. Mm-hmm. I remember I was at a music store. This was 1987. And the cover of your album, The Wind and the Wheat, caught my eye. I wasn't familiar with your music yet. And it was so weird. And I still do this to this day. I will buy an album, a CD or something, simply because I'm drawn to the cover art. Mm -hmm. Because in my mind, okay, if somebody has something this beautiful on the outside, there's got to be some great music on the inside. So I I bought The Wind and the Wheat, really not knowing what I was going to be in for. Mm -hmm. So that really sparked a lifelong love affair with instrumental music. It was so different than anything I had ever listened to. I was a, an 80s rock and roll kid. Um, mm-hmm. It's still a very, very special album to me. Yeah, Tommy what? Coombs
3: produced that album. Oh, really? I got to work with great players like Harlan Rogers, Jeff Lambs, um, Ron Tut, who was Elvis's drummer uh, oh, for wow. many years. Alex Acuna, Alex McDougal. Um, oh,
1: Alex Acuna, he's a great... Job,
3: yeah you know. yeah oh so whenever we went west great experiences musically would happen you know even the two paul clark albums that paul clark and friends albums they were mm-hmm. recorded in um oklahoma with two of the members of love song and bill spear you know john Mailer, j Trax, and bill spear on keys paul and acoustic and uh, i played acoustic and electric and classical and those those were always great experiences for me. I sure do remember them fondly. And the How the West Was One tour was really a lot of fun. What was your friend's name who wrote that?
1: That was Dan Morrow. Yeah, Dan Morrow. Oh, Dan
3: Morrow. Please say hello for me to him.
1: I certainly will do that. He will be listening, and he'll be. Uh, I won't say he'll be doing backflips, but uh, in his mind, he will be doing (laughs) backflips. Good, good. I've mentioned in other places that somehow, at least in my mind, music is almost, or an album can be kind of like a a little bit of a time machine. And when I think about Phil Kage and Sunday's Child, that album came out my senior year in high school. And anytime I play that song, it takes me back to when I was you 17, 18 years old. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite cuts from any, any album you've you've put out is Blessed Be the Ties. I know Lynn Nichols wrote that. I think you're a co-writer on that. I think there there, mm-hmm. isn't there another co-writer? Who else wrote that? Oh, Steve, uh, Steve Taylor. Steve Taylor wrote the lyrics.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote the lyrics. I, I had some lyrics, but they just weren't strong enough. Steve mm-hmm. was definitely gifted with the message of the lyrics. Deep, deep words, actually. And uh, yeah. But Lynn and I wrote the music, and... um uh, yeah, I, I I got to play bass on that song. I played bass on that song and tell me how you feel, and mm. I always do the Mark Hurd song, one of the Mark Hurd oh, so, songs. Yeah, um, right. And uh, so yeah, it was a good band. A lot of good members in, in in that album. A lot of good members. A lot of lot of talented people. You know, uh, joined joined up.
1: Well, it is it is such a special album, and I think. Um, That song in particular, you know, is probably not one that would have been released as a single or anything like that, but because there were so many other great tracks on it. But to me, that song has always resonated. I love the lyric, the melody. And as we were mentioned before we started recording, the way you sing that song, the way it just fits in your range and everything, it's just so beautifully sung. Um, You feel up for for playing a little bit of it for us?
3: Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: I'd love it. I'd love to hear some of it. Okay. Thank you.
3: chill ever to bear your grief ever rejected still out of the deep he pulls you into the arms you trust nothing can separate us from the ties that bind to you and uh, uh, as you spirit Be the An abbreviated version there.
1: So I didn't realize until I was preparing for our chat that our mutual friend Derry Doherty sings backup on a couple of the tracks on that album. That's That was pretty cool for me too, to realize. Yeah. I didn't know that before.
3: Yeah. Oh, what a nice voice he has, huh?
1: To this day, he's still one of my favorite vocalists. I I just really love Derry. 1991, uh, Steve and Derry are from the choir are putting together a project called At the Foot of the Cross. Mm -hmm. And you sing my favorite song on that project. It's a song that Steve wrote. And it was so interesting. Last week, I was talking to Steve uh, Hindlong. And he was sharing with me a little bit about that project and how you became involved and all that. And Steve was kind enough to send me a, a little recording about about that, and I want to uh, want to play that for you here. So okay. here's here, here's Steve Hindalong.
2: Hey, yeah, when when uh, Phil recorded that song for us, um, clouds clouds around about you for our At the Foot of the Cross album, it was such a big thrill for me. I had actually written that song. Uh, many years before, and I'd like saying it in our our church youth group, probably in the early '80s, I think, in my early 20s. And um, but it really seemed to fit on at the foot of the cross. So somehow I got a hold of. I didn't know Phil at the time. I mean, I might have met him, but I don't think so. But I, I got. He was living in Nashville at the time, and I managed. We were in LA, and I managed to get com- in communication with his manager. And he agreed to um, hear a cassette. I I, I mailed um, Phil a cassette of me singing the song. He was so gracious. He got back to us and he wanted to do it. He made it his own. I think he made a chord change and and uh, he did it his own way. He he sent us like many versions. And he had some kind of recording device in his house. I don't I don't know what it was, but where there could be a split signal. So he had his guitar on one side, his acoustic and his uh, vocal on the other. And he did some real instrumental s- stuff as well, solo. So we ended up combining. We we picked our favorite vocal take and found some, some of his his uh, beautiful guitar playing and edited uh, it together. I don't remember the technology back then, but we're on two-inch tape. And then uh, Derry and I played along with it. He played in such good time that I was able to add percussion to it, and then Derry and I sang harmony uh, to it and it was pretty pretty uh thrilling because he he was um we didn't have any like famous people on the record. He was the most I mean we had Buddy and Julie Miller, but they weren't really known at the time. And so most of the people were just people in our, our little world. But um anyway it turned out great and, and uh then he came and was on tour and I remember his his um road manager contacted me at one point and said, Hey Phil's gonna be playing it. I think it was Calvary Chapel Downey. It was, and he's going to play that song tonight. And uh, I was so excited I went there and was in the audience, and um, he actually said from the stage, um, here's a song that um, Steve Hindelong wrote, and then he played it, this beautiful version, and it was just so meaningful. It was just an absolute thrill uh, for me at that point. And then since then, I've got to know Phil, and we've worked together on some, some musical endeavors. He actually lives really close to me right now. Uh, Not too long ago, his his wife and him invited me over for dinner. But uh, I'm not close friends with Phil, but I I am, I'd say, a good friend, and I appreciate him very much. And a lot of people don't know that, of course, later we did that song, um, Clouds, on Chase the Kangaroo album. Well, actually, no, we had done that earlier. I'm getting mixed up here. We had done that in 1987, but people don't know that I actually wrote that, the version that's on At the Foot of the Cross, many, many years before. Uh, We were just, I'll always be grateful for for Phil doing that.
0: Clouds around about you Clouds around about you Clouds around about you Shadows veil Shadows veil your eyes The sower comes by morning To scatter light like sea Clouds around about you Shadows veil your eyes Shadows veil your eyes And when we come as children You give us all we need. Clouds around, about you. Shadows veil your eyes. Shadows veil your eyes. Clouds around, about you. Clouds around, about you. Clouds around, about you. Shadows veil.
1: That's pretty cool. I I love that song. It's a it's a wonderful song and it very, It is. Very it's well done. a
3: beautiful song. Um, you know, I, I was I had a a reel to real eight track uh, seven inch reels. Uh, that's what I recorded to, and oh, okay. I, I was able to separate my guitar from my voice and and uh, I loved it. I, I thought it was one of the prettiest songs. And Steve is not only a, a fine percussionist and drummer, but he's also a really fantastic producer. And I mm-hmm. I remember um, he produced me a, a number, a couple other times, and oh, okay. I just thought he was always just so great and encouraging mm-hmm. um, there at the soundboard, you know, uh, at the console. And uh, yeah, he, he was fun to work with.
1: He's one of my favorite lyricists. He is a wonderful, wonderful lyricist. Mm-hmm. Very, very talented. So that album came out in 91. That was the same year Beyond Nature came out. And mm-hmm. yeah, as you look through your discography, you really were putting out an album just about every year through this phase. I mean, it was album, tour, mm-hmm. you know, album, tour, rinse, repeat, you know, it, that mm-hmm. can be a little bit challenging, I would imagine. But you were really going full throttle back then. Did... Was that tough, you know, being away from home? What was what was it like in that period of time?
3: It was. I, did, I was never a fan of touring. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just never was a tour animal. And I remember during the time, uh, 1984, I did the Getting Closer album, and then I was mm-hmm. doing uh, a lot of dates across the country. At the time, I was living in California, and I'd get pretty weary of, of that whole road experience, and then when we put bands together, we'd be on buses, and of course, it only made sense to go out for two to three weeks sometimes, you know, and I didn't like that, and so in 1987, I did a five-week tour in England, Scotland, and Wales, with Sheila Walsh and a a British band, and uh, when I came home from that, and we had a a three-month-old son, Ian, who was born in 87, I said to Brenda, I said, I'm not going to tour anymore, just weekends, and so from that point on I just I just did weekends. And even when Good I did the Master and Musician thirtieth anniversary tour in two thousand and eight, we just did weekends and then we come home, you know. So yeah. we I, I made my family a priority. I wanted to be home. I yeah. wanted to take my kids to school, I wanted to pray with them at night and not be missing, you know. I made that decision, I never regretted it. Uh, there were some people in the business who weren't real happy with my choice, but I think it's really been better for my family. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now oh. I hardly do any dates at all these days. Um, I'm mostly yeah. just working in the studio and just occasionally go out and do something, maybe if it's a drive date, you know, someplace reasonable yeah. distance.
1: And that album is is such a wonderful one, Beyond Nature. It has some of my favorite Phil Kagey tunes on it. It's an instrumental album. It's,
3: it's special. It's yeah, it's a special it album.
1: It is Addison's Walk has long been a favorite of mine. I love the oboe at the end. It's such a it's such a nice and and beautiful. Those are beautiful lines that are played there. Oh yeah,
3: yeah. You know I, that album was sandwiched between. Well, I did Find Me in These Fields. Mm-hmm. No Sunday's Child. Find Me in These Fields. Then the next year I did Beyond Nature. Then the next year Crimson and Blue.
1: What a stretch of albums, yeah, so
3: there were these three rock albums, and then this beautiful, quiet album beyond nature, uh which is pretty special. It was me retreating into the acoustic uh yeah. after touring so much, you know, I toured with Randy on the Sundays Child tour, and then there was a you know uh the find Me in these Fields, I had a band touring on during those days. I did the uh, album with J.B., Jim Baird, who engineered and co-produced Beyond Nature. Don Hart did the strings and woodwinds, uh, wrote those, and that became a very special album. In fact, um, it's, it's up there in the top my top five favorite albums I've ever done. Yeah.
1: Really? Now, did you get any pushback from, you know, your recording company? Because, you know, they probably wanted another Sunday's child, but here you are saying, you know, I want to do something that's instrumental, that's more acoustic. Did they push back at all? Or did you have the freedom to kind of do what you wanted?
3: I think, uh, I had such a vision for doing that, that my A&R guy, really good guy, uh, Mark Maxwell, he, uh, he said that sounds lovely, you know. He was he was very encouraging. So he was my A and R guy. I so I took a break from, you know, the, the electric guitars and the Vox amps and and yeah. the bands and and just went in and did this uh, album with acoustic guitars and a classical guitar and a little bit of I think there's a bass on one or two songs. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but uh, it it was uh, to me it was an oasis that I needed at the time. I was doing a lot of uh, walking the trails, hiking, because before that I was an avid runner, and I went from oh, really? being a runner to a hiker and yeah. uh, spent more time, more quiet time in the woods, and I, I would reflect. I'd hear melodies in my heart come home, break out the guitar, come up with an alternate tuning. Like There's a, a number of songs on there that are alternate tunings, uh, and that was, that was nice to do. Addison's Walk, for instance, is an alternate tuning. Here, I'll play you a bit of it, okay?
1: I would love it. I love this song so much. I'll play (laughs) a little bit of it. Yes, please. Yes, please. (laughs) since you like to walk in the woods that you should see if I lived back there, I would, I would walk with you, but you should invite him along. He actually, they, they have a song about that. The chorus is, I want to take a walk in the woods with a friend. Uh, So he, he's a good one to walk with. He he enjoys walking out in there. So I'm curious what, what makes the way you pick different from other players? Like, you know, I, I love James Taylor, Paul Simon, and they're, they're, finger pickers as well, but your the way you pick is different. What makes it different, the way that you play, than from what we might hear in kind of more of a traditional finger picking type of style?
3: Well, first of all, I've, I've only got nine fingers, so that, that affects it. I've got, uh, I'm missing a finger on my right hand, the middle finger. I uh, had an accident when I was four or five years old mm-hmm. on a water pump on the farm and uh, climbed up on it and it fell through the 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 shaft you know went down toward the well and it caught my the the uh the actual spigot caught my finger in my hand and took it off you know and uh they actually tried to sew it back on but it just wouldn't take as they Mm. say and Mm -hmm. um but i remember that day like it was last week it was um, the memory is totally vivid i remember what my dad was wearing i remember him running to rescue me and um I remember going the ride to the hospital. I remember uh, the ether coming down on my face and when they put me out to operate on me. Wow. And uh remember waking up and the family being there to cheer me up. Yeah, it was it was traumatic for a little kid and Yeah, uh,
1: I can imagine.
3: Yeah, I just, you know, when I really got serious about playing more acoustically and playing try to play well acoustically, I'd say probably from 1970 onward. I had a style where I'd hold a pick and use, like, as if it's the ring finger on the right hand. Then I learned how to, by the time, mid-70s, and for a master musician, I was using my all my fingers instead of holding a pick. And that's how I play now. In fact, even in electric, I, half the time I play my electric without a pick at all. Yeah, um, I've, I've noticed and, that. You know, if it calls for a pick, I'll use a pick. Uh, everyone's got their own style, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, their own signature when it comes to the technique you use to play left yeah. hand and right hand, you know?
1: Well, it's amazing to me that even though you only have nine fingers, your plane is so clean. And the fact that's something that people often talk about, obviously that that part of it is done with your left hand on the, on the fretboard, but there's no uh, real loss there. You can't detect anything in your plane. That's really incredible how you've been able to compensate for that.
3: There's loads of mistakes when it comes to live performance. You know, I'm not, perfectionist but in the studio I like to get it as good as I can and get it right you know get it try to get it where it's it really is musically sound you know so technically as well as sonically the best I can
1: when do you feel most creative are are there conditions you know uh, just a a time of uh, where you have some reflection or are there situations uh settings that help you to feel more creative than other times is there a time when you feel like wow ah, i've got something kind of burning in my belly here or mm-hmm. something that you want to let it out and record something mm-hmm. when do you feel that i don't feel it as often as i did when i was younger mm-hmm. but then again
3: i i wrote songs that weren't so necessary when i was younger too i mean there are there are throwaways on several of my albums you know songs that i don't care really to listen to but then there are songs that really are from the heart like uh would i would cite uh for instance some most of the album way back home is very special to me you know and uh
1: it's deeply personal
3: it's very personal yeah Mm -hmm. and uh then you know there there are songs that Someone else suggested that I do, they said, that's a pretty good song. There's a couple songs I had to fight for, you know.
2: Mm.
3: Like there was a tune called I Have Days Like You, which I just think it's a nice song. It's kind of Wilburys-ish, you know, a little bit. Mm -hmm. I like that song a lot, but I had to kind of fight for that when when I was with the label. Um, Now, I've been independent off a a major label since 2002. I got my own little imprint called Stroby Records, It's just a name. It's no big deal. It's not a corporation or anything like that. It's just... But it's yours. It's mine. And my dad, when I was a kid, he used to say to me, Petey, my initials just P-T. He'd say, Mm -hmm. Petey, play me some of that Stroby." You know, he'd say to me. Oh, wow. That's where that came from. He called it Stroby, And uh, so I kind of stuck with that and made my little label imprint that, you know. When it comes to, like... If I'm looking for something, I really love to record something. Oftentimes, I end up just collaborating with somebody, Mm -hmm. somebody who sends me a lyric. Uh, Recently, I've written music to Six Poems by Kevin Belmonte, who's a a, a really fine author of books. Mm -hmm. G.K. Chesterton, C.S. Lewis, William Wilberforce, you know, he's written books. And he's a very intelligent but has a lot of heart and loves the gospel. And I've written uh, some songs with other people who provided a poem for me, and wow. um, and then I'll put that to music. And that that stirs me, you know. And uh, there's some stuff that's on the like the backroom tracks. Thirteen, uh, Nina Alstrom from Finland sent me lyrics, and I put that to music. One of it's called "I Will Wait for You." I came up with the music, and Rex Schnelli helped me produce it and that's one of those uh, special songs. David Hirsch, uh, he's written a lot of lyrics and sent them to me, and I put music to David Hirsch's music, or his lyrics. He's also a songwriter in his own right. He's also a pastor, a talented man. I've done instrumental projects, collaborations with Jeff Johnson, who's such a talented man.
1: I have been, oh, probably for the last week or so, I've spent a lot of time with those recordings that you did with Jeff Johnson, particularly Ravenna. These mosaics are just beautiful pieces, and oh yeah, uh, I Boy. love these albums. These were these were new to me until I started doing uh, my preparation for our time yeah. together, and I was like, "Wow, I have missed this!" And it's just wonderful music.
3: Oh yeah, he's he's such a gifted man, and I love working with Jeff. Uh, and these songs, these pieces, and all the albums are very very well worked out and
1: you know they are yes what i love is how collaborative you are and you've put together such a great body of work with other players what is it about working with others that is so important to you
3: i think others bring something out of you that you can't draw out of yourself they also make you more sensitive to what else can be spoken musically And they also create a a call and response that you uh, respond to, you know, musically. And so that's why sometimes groups have have a special appeal to people, whereas individual artists, not so much, you know, it seems, um, unless they are a James Taylor or, you know, somebody who is exceptional as a solo artist, you know. That's why some people say, "Well, you know, Phil, your my favorite album of yours is Sunday's Child." It's probably because there's so much collaboration going on, on that album.
1: Uh, well, it's a great and it's a great pop album. I mean, it's just it's, yeah, the songs yeah. are so great. I mean, it's just you're right, but it is very mm-hmm. collaborative.
3: Uh huh. And so it's like you're you're part of a family in that sense. Mm-hmm. You know, I I love what other people bring to the table musically.
1: Well, that's great. And I know one of your key collaborators and somebody I know who is very special to you is is randy stonehill and so i i reached out to randy and i told him that you and i were going to be chatting and i said hey you want to record a little note for your buddy phil and this is what he sent me i think this is really cool I'll give this a listen here
2: hey phil who's your pal who's your buddy it's me <laughs> it's randy
0: rein or all right i mean uh, randy stonehill
2: Hey, let me just say that our friendship has been one of life's great blessings, and playing music
0: with you, my friend, is always a joy. And furthermore,
2: <laughs> you are the Godzilla of rock. You get up in the morning, you eat Tokyo for breakfast. Oh, yes. Uh, you know you do. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I love you, buddy. God bless you. Oh, my gosh. I,
3: I, I, I love Randy. <laughs> We, we did an album together in my studio here in 2008 or so, 2008, I think it was. It was called uh, Mystery Highway. I was just and listening to
1: that last night, actually.
3: It's just so much fun. And I've got all these outtakes of him uh, going off because uh, <laughs> he, knows, he knows I laugh at him. And, and that feeds him. And, uh, but he's so creative he's, and he's so funny. And he's, but he's so sincere and so sweet. I do love Randy a lot and uh, yeah my memories of touring with him recording with him uh we've been to Haiti together um yeah, yeah. you know Ecuador you know he's got a real heart for kids and mm-hmm. uh yeah I I I just love that guy a lot and you know we go back a long way you know I sure. met him yeah. and and Larry Norman on the same day in really? in May of 1972 in Cincinnati oh, my. it was wow. a glass harp glass harp was playing out in this uh Outdoor venue, and then it started to rain, and we had to all go inside, and then Mm -hmm. then resume the concert indoors, you know. But uh, and so while they were changing up the stage and getting the gear off the stage and moving it, uh, we just hung out in a hotel and got to know each other. And uh, and you know, I was twenty one at the time, and uh, I I guess Randy was close to the same age, and Larry Mm -hmm. too. He might have been a year older or two. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but I never. Uh, I did concerts with Larry Norman back in the day, but um, really, wow. Uh, but I did a lot of concerts and a lot of touring with Randy. You know, yeah. We've been all over America. We went to New Zealand, Australia. Yeah, I love the guy, and I'm so glad that I'm a part of his fiftieth celebration album called yeah. uh, There's a rainbow somewhere.
1: I hope people pick it up. I do too. I, as I mentioned, I'll put a link for that in the podcast description. And apparently you've been to Tokyo and you you have eaten Tokyo for breakfast, apparently, according to Randy. So never been
3: never never been over there. Never been to Asia. Never been in that side of the world.
1: At this stage of life, what, what are the things that that bring you joy that that put a smile on your face these days?
3: Uh, my grandboys. I've got three yeah. grandsons. Bern and I have three grandsons and they're a big portion of what we're about nowadays. They're just little fellas, you know. But the, <laughs> yeah. the three-year-old in the, in the almost two-year-old uh, towns in uh our daughter, Olivia's sons, and then our son, Ian, his son is Noah. And uh, they're just fantastic little, little people, and uh, we love them. Yeah. We spend a lot of time with them, mm-hmm. and uh, we're grateful that we live close to them. Beautiful. And uh they love to come down in the studio, bang on the drums and you know, <laughs> pluck on the guitars and yes. you know, sing into the microphone and, and uh oh we have a blast together. Yeah, we sure do. We go down the creek, skip stones and throw rocks and and just, you know, walk around the neighborhood and so that's probably what really gives me a great thrill these days, I I, I must say.
1: I know last weekend you sent me a picture of your grandson who just turned one. That was Ian's son, right? That just uh-huh. turned one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got keggy eyes.
3: Yeah, yeah. He's got his father's eyes and his grandfather's probably, except they're brown. You know, his his mother is a beautiful. Uh, she's half Filipino and uh, and she's a beautiful lady. They're a beautiful family. My son is extremely handsome, and he gets that from his mom, primarily. Well, I don't so know, Phil.
1: He looks a lot like you. Let's be honest. I've, I've well, seen you know, his pictures when he's—I he, know he was in Hot Shell Ray for for several years. Yes, um, And he was. so I was watching, you know, listening to a lot of that work and stuff. And he looks a lot like his dad.
3: Well, you know, there's a picture I put side by side of the two of us when we were both 21, mm-hmm. and it's it's amazing. The thing is, he's going to be able to keep his hair. I've, <laughs> I've, I've I've lost most of my hair on top, but he's. <laughs> He he's got a really good, strong head of hair because of his his grandfather on his mom's side. You know, his grandfather uh, he kept his hair too. Well, so, he got the um, best
1: of both worlds then, huh?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But he's got a lot of talent, my son Ian, and I love yeah. him. He's got a great heart, and uh, mm, you know, wonderful. he's really
1: really special to me. You know, you listen to yourself play that eighth grade Phil. You know, eleven year old Phil. If you had five minutes. To sit down with that young buck who was playing those surf tunes, what do you think you might share with him?
3: I'd say probably, hey, kid, just relax a little bit, you know. Mm -hmm. Slow Mm -hmm. down, you know. What's the hurry? When I see young musicians, I love to encourage them. I said, be patient with yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, keep joyful in what you're doing. You know, don't berate yourself. Don't beat yourself up you know music is something you want to be able to share with others to make them happy and f- help bring some fulfillment and joy to them some hope uh some beauty in the world uh, yeah. that's what that's what it means to me and that's what i would share with young musicians do it because you love it don't don't stress over it you know mm-hmm. i don't think that's that's worth it
1: yeah, well, that's a great answer. As we near the end of our time together, I, as I mentioned earlier, I watched quite a few interviews with you, and I realized we were missing some some vital information about Phil Kagey. So I've got some rapid-fire questions for you that we'll end our time with. What, okay. What uh, favorite books or authors do you have?
3: I always loved Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. I like biographies of people that really made a difference in our world. Mm-hmm. There were some Philip Yancey books I really enjoyed. I enjoyed some Malcolm Gladwell. Um, yeah, it's a very interesting my favorite, writer. Yeah. yeah, my favorite book really is the Bible, though, mm-hmm. because um, it, that comes it seems like it comes right out of the heart of God. Yeah. And if I want to know God, if I want to know what really is in his heart and how, how good he is, that's where I go.
1: I like that. What about favorite movies? I like the old
3: ones. I'm a softie when it comes to movies like Mrs. Miniver, Goodbye, Mr. Chips. Um, okay, yeah. The Best Years of Our Lives, you know, movies that tell a story and have a... But I also love good old comedies, too, you know, uh, Abbott and Costello. Um, oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I I must say, believe it or not, I, I I indulge once in a while in some Three Stooges with Curly. <laughs> and, yes, uh, <laughs> You know there's something about and I love I love the classics, you know. I I really do um when it comes to movies. Every once in a while there is something that comes out. I remember I I loved the Chariots of Fire movie, you know. I thought that oh, was yeah, wonderful. Yeah. That was inspiring, you know.
1: Excellent. And what might people be most surprised to find in your listening rotation or your music rotation? What what would be the that band or artist or even maybe a style that people like, "Hmm, I don't I wouldn't have figured Phil would be listening to." That type of music or that artist? What do you have anybody like that that uh, might be a surprise to people?
3: Well, when, back in two thousand, I did an album called Inseparable, and uh, I was listening to a lot of Bjork at the time. Oh, I thought, well, yeah. I thought, yeah. I thought it was very creative and interesting music, you know, musically. Mm-hmm. And I thought the the way she just went for it vocally, so that kind of like bled into, you know, it was an influence on that album. In fact, when I presented the album to the record company I was with at the time, they just scratched their heads and said, hey, Phil, what are you listening to? You know, man, what, man, what are you listening to? And uh, I said, well, I didn't even answer because it, I, I knew that they weren't crazy about the album, but I, I liked it. And I, I thought it was a, a really interesting and, uh, adventure, making inseparable. I listen a lot to what I'm working on, and I work with other musicians, and I'm, I'm mm-hmm. co-writing with people, and I I spend more time listening to what I'm creating these days. Like last night, uh, Bern and I put on Spotify and listened to a lot of the classic standards of the 50s. Yes, you know, yes. And the mm-hmm. 60s. And when songs are written, they were, they're intended to just you know, make you feel good and yeah. what it's like to fall in love and stuff like that, and and so I, I like that. I'll go back and listen to the old stuff that influenced me oftentimes, yeah. and, and I do like uh, classical music. Mm-hmm. Not the stuffy kind, but I like Vaughn Williams a lot and Ravel and Debussy and, and uh, Edvard Grieg. In fact, one of the songs on Beyond Nature is called Symphonic Dance, and that's an Edvard Grieg composition. But really? I, I didn't know that.
1: Guitar. Mm-hmm. That's one of the many things I will have learned today.
3: And then there's a song on um, in The Quiet Hours, which is an instrumental mm-hmm. collection, called Fantasy. Uh, and that was influenced by Vaughan Williams, the English composer.
1: So tell us what's next for you. Are you. I know you're not doing as many dates as you used to, but are you planning on get, venturing out and doing some weekend stuff periodically here and there?
3: Uh, no plans. The next concert I have is in October, but you never know what might happen in between. Sure.
1: But, you know, I'm
3: not in a big hurry to get on airplanes and go anywhere, really. I'm grateful I, I've got a room that I can make music in, and uh, and that's what I'm concentrating on, that and our family.
1: I know that... Uh that Bernadette's kind of become your quasi road manager. And so you guys get to do stuff together when you do venture out. So that Mm -hmm. that makes it kind of nice, I'm sure. Oh yeah,
3: sure. Well, she traveled with me for the last uh, six years we were traveling, you know.
1: We're just about done too. So I just want to let everybody know that if you want to hear some great music, Phil has hands down the best Bandcamp page I have ever seen. I will put a link to it in the description there is so much great and wonderful music there, decades of music. He's got live shows from the 70s up into the last few years, and mm. albums, studio albums, collaborations. There's so much great music there. So I really want to encourage people to go check that out. So, Phil, I... I'm so grateful for your time. This has been a good stretch. I'll probably break this into two episodes, but I'm so grateful for this chance to connect with you, to hear your wonderful stories, and to just to hear your heart. So thank you so much for joining me. Well, I enjoyed it. And,
3: uh, you know, I know there were some questions you didn't cover, but uh, we'll get a chance to talk again someday. Part three. What do you say?
1: Sounds like a plan, and I, they say you should never meet your heroes because they'll They'll disappoint you, but I am so grateful because you have disproven that today. And I'm so grateful to you just for the contribution you've made to the, to the soundtrack of my own life. And uh, so, so thank you again. I really appreciate you.
3: You're welcome, Brian. Well, thanks for having me. One more thing, Brian, if I may, I'd like to present an invitation to our listeners. Perhaps there's somebody out there really looking for a new life, an abundant life, and some hope and some peace and uh, the gift of salvation. Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. And he gives us this invitation. He said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Whatever yoke or burden you are carrying, the Lord Jesus wants to help you with that. I want to encourage our listeners, Brian, that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Jesus Christ died on the cross for all our sins. God the Father loves us so much that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I experienced that 53 years ago and so I'll never forget the day that I let Jesus into my heart. If you want to, could you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, I believe you died for my sins. That you offer forgiveness for all my sins, past, present, and future. Come into my life. Change me. And I will follow you. Thank you, Lord, for being my Savior. Amen.
1: To everyone listening, thank you for sitting at the table with us. Uh, if you've enjoyed this chat share it with others so they can learn about Phil's music if they don't know it already and reviews and ratings and and uh, those types of things go a long way to helping an independent podcast like this so wherever you are keep your bags packed and join us on our next journey to the stage and that's a wrap all right